0: Welcome to the Work Done Right Podcast, where we talk with industry professionals to discuss best practices in construction, manufacturing, and maintenance. I am your host, Wes Edmiston, Director of Product with Cumulus Digital Systems and 15-year Construction Industry Veteran. Our guest today is Gene Hodge. Gene leads Mortensen's innovation team, supporting company and industry growth in industrialization, automation, technology, manufacturing, and other methodologies. Holding a strong belief that we cannot transform our industry in silos, Gene is also an active collaborator with all types of industry partners. Gene has spent his entire career with Mortensen and holds a Bachelor's of Science in Construction Management from the University of Washington. Gene and his family live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where they fully embrace all four seasons. When not in Minnesota, they can likely be found skiing in Colorado. So you're a real winter bug then, huh? absolutely well Gene I, I learned I learned about what winter really is in Minneapolis it's a different deal yeah no <laughs> you it's, gotta uh, embrace it
1: yeah it's, it's it's
0: frigid there so Gene welcome to the show thank you for joining us here thank you uh at our built world America's Summit recordings that we're doing here live and in person I uh, just wanted to start this off by just kind of getting to know a little bit more about, about you, how you got into construction, and and uh, really kind of your career so far in the industry. Yeah, sure. I'm
1: happy to share that. So I think I've wanted to be in construction a long time since I was a kid. My grandfather, was a, who I'm named after, was a crane operator. He actually um, died on the job. And so I had kind of a value of safety ingrained in me really early on. When I was a kid, I uh, built a lot of little projects with my dad around the house, and then I worked some construction jobs in uh, high school and into college. and I actually started with Mortenson as an intern when I was 18 years old my freshman year of college, so I've been at it for a
0: bit. No kidding. Yeah, so you, you've been with Mortensen for, for 20 years, years. now, which, yeah. is, which is really atypical from what I've seen in my experience. Not a lot of people stay with the same company for really the whole of their career. What are some of the roles that you've held along the way and, and really what what is it about Mortensen that maybe the culture of that their investment in you what is it yeah. what is it that has kept you with them striving to do more and more every year yeah uh,
1: mortenson's an amazing company i've really enjoyed it and i've worked i think i've worked in every time zone in the continental 48 so um, i've worked in washington minnesota pennsylvania new york colorado montana Utah, kind of all over the map and uh, we have a very diverse business so we build stadiums, we build renewable energy, we'll build schools, hospitals. I think the wide variety allows you to do a lot of different stuff with your career and I've been able to, I've run projects, I've done business development, I've run operating groups and currently I'm leading up innovation for the company which is really fun because I get exposed to our people all across the company, all across the country working in all kinds of different roles. It's really satisfying. The company's about five billion dollars a year in current revenue. Uh, we're growing rapidly. We're privately held, which I think is a big part of our culture. So we don't have outside drivers. We don't have shareholders to answer, answer to. The um, our ownership entity, the Mortensen family, has always had this focus on growing retained earnings and putting the money back into the firm and continuing to invest. And uh, so it's been it's been fun and rewarding.
0: Yeah. So you you had said before that Mortensen does a lot of different kinds yeah. of there's a lot that they do, and something I didn't know is that they actually have quite the prowess in sports stadium construction. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about some of these kind of bigger name projects that Mortensen has done over the years?
1: Sure. Um, I spent quite a bit of time work, working in the sports business, actually, um, and I built a hospital once, and I thought that was absolutely the most complicated thing you could build until really? I built a sports job. and. You know normal buildings work in two axes so you're usually you have square corners you're working everything's rectilinear it's straightforward if you look at any stadium they're not that way i think about uh we built the Raiders stadium in Vegas and that building is round it's curved it's everything every single piece of glass on the outside of it is a different size Um, And so we built some amazing things, the Viking Stadium, the Raiders. We were recently selected with our partner partner McCarthy to build the uh, athletics new facility in Las Vegas. A lot of fun and exciting stuff in sports. And I think the thing that's really exciting about sports construction is it brings entire communities together. There's a huge focus on small minority diverse businesses. There's a huge focus on growing a workforce. And it's It's a massive effort and undertaking, and and very rewarding in that regard.
0: Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, I, I, I guess I've never really thought about how it would be building a large round building. Yep. You say that, you know, how, how is it that you guys are going out there? Are you, are you having to basically shoot in and survey every single thing going on around? Yeah, there's a
1: lot more technology involved. And there's a lot more, um, I think, quality and focus on manufacturing because mm-hmm. everything's got to fit
0: together absolutely just right. Right. Well, you, you teed that up to segue into this pretty well. I don't know if you yeah. planned that. I think that was accidental, but I'll take it. Let's go with it. Good <laughs> job. Uh, so so with that, I mean, Mortensen has a different way of building, and honestly, and it sounds like a different way of approaching innovations and a different way of approaching construction in general. So could you walk us through a little bit about you know this manufacturing philosophy that Mortensen has?
1: Yeah, I, I would say when a lot of people think about innovation, they focus on technology first, and we think technology is part of the solution. I think getting Developing 3D models that are detailed enough where you can develop cost estimates, build materials off of them, actually order and engage your supply chain is a big deal. But um, ultimately, buildings are physical things that are put together. And so while technology is a big focus, I'd say a larger focus for us is how can we standardize on assemblies, on components, how can we modularize construction so that the final construction site We're not cutting, making, and creating things. We're just assembling, you know, kits of parts and sub-assemblies that are pre-manufactured. Increases quality, speeds things up, um, and uh, delivers things at a lower overall cost. I think about, we've done a lot of projects with a really innovative um, hotel firm called Citizen M. And so they're, they're really focused on... Containerized buildings, and so eat, you've got two rooms that come together with a hallway in between. Those rooms are fully finished with a bed in it, with toilet paper hanging on the wall. When you set it, as soon as the rest of the building is done, you're ready to go. And that those are the kind of things that we think are really exciting.
0: Yeah. How is it? And I've, I've talked to a couple of other folks that have a, a similar, we'll say, modular philosophy, but they're yeah. very standardized. It is. It is this kit of parts. It doesn't yeah. matter what it is that you're wanting. This is just this is our, our structural frame and, and we'll move from there. But with something like, like a football stadium or or you know, we'll say one of these other architectural marvels. Yeah. How do you I, do that? Exactly. Yeah. So, so how do you guys approach that in in working toward modularization yep. with something like a football stadium? Yeah.
1: So I would say you can't solve all of it that way, right? So we focus on the areas that are most cost dense. So if there's a lot of mechanical, a lot of plumbing, a lot of electrical, where you have a lot of cost and work where people would otherwise be soldering, welding, fitting up. There's a lot of on-site labor, anything like that. So you take, look at elevator shafts, look at mechanical shafts, look at electrical rooms, and it might not even be the whole room. It might be taking all the panels and switch gear on one wall and how do you pre-wire, pre-manufacture, all of that. And so you're just dropping it in place and clicking it in. And I think there's a lot of uh inaccurate perceptions and beliefs around modular. People think about you know residential trailers and things like that and think about low quality and we're really focused on that. doing the work in the field is challenging it's difficult to achieve quality standards if you're doing it where you're building stuff at a bench height where you're standing, you're not crouching you're not getting up at a ladder the quality is going to be better and so we look at we look at areas like that we also look at um what people will accept. And so people generally want what they see and experience in a building. They want to feel custom. They want to feel bespoke. And so if we can focus on the areas that are invisible, what's in the wall, what's in the ceiling above it, and really, really focus on those, we see a lot more success happening.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And and really this... Know, you're not taking a a one-size-fits-all approach whenever that's correct you're kind of taking like a risk-based approach yeah. saying hey where are we going to get the most value out of doing this where is it most feasible to do this and and let's let's make sure that we're we're saving our, our costs effectively where yeah. we can in the most kind of logical and pragmatic way so yeah. I'm a very intelligent way of moving forward doing that Oh, we've, we've had plenty of failures on the way. so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so so with that, though, some of these, I guess, hard lessons that you've learned over the years, you know, what is it that you've found you're really not able to do in a modular way? And, and where, where have you had some of those failures?
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I'd say in the example of full, fully prefabricated um, hotel rooms... Uh-huh. Those hotel rooms have drywall, they have finishes, and they do not have a roof on them yet. And so we've learned a lot about how do you keep the things that are finished when you're doing it in a completely different sequence, yeah. how do you keep them dry? And we've removed plenty of drywall, learning you know, learning how to deal with that. And so I, I'd say uh, we're really big on celebrating and embracing and appreciating failure and taking lessons out of it. I think it's really easy to fail at something and say, oh God, I don't want to do that again. But usually there are some things that actually succeeded in there and then some other switches you can flip to turn it from a failure into success. So that's a lot from a process standpoint. It's hard to say, you know, one blanket thing that fits everything, but I think that mindset is really important to make progress.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you you think of... Any of the anecdotal stories about out there, you know, Thomas Edison says in, in yeah. learning how to to make a light bulb or in inventing the light bulb, there 999 yep. ways of not making a light bulb, yep. right? So in order to do anything uh, that's that's new and innovative, you run the risk of, of some level of failure. Yep. So it's great that you all have that culture of of accepting failure, likely within reason. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I hope my COO is listening to me say failure within
1: reason right now.
0: <laughs> so, so what are some of the other benefits you're saying that you're seeing out of taking this this modular semi-manufacturing approach? You had talked a little bit about you know the, the benefits of quality of yeah. this in a controlled environment. What else are you seeing?
1: So, another part is the workforce, and so our construction sites—you think about mud and rocks and ladders and lifts and big piece of equipment and there's a large portion of the population that physically is um, unable to engage in that scope of work. And when you move things into a factory, it opens up for a whole new level of workforce um, and uh, ability to develop into a skilled trade that somebody might not have had when you look at the limitations on a construction site. And so that's huge. Um, I think from a supply chain mitigation standpoint, our ability to partner with folks and stand up our own factories where we're controlling all the parts and pieces that are coming in there. And we can be a lot more responsive and dynamic as the world around us changes. That's another, another key benefit.
0: How are you seeing that talking about with the the band power, especially how are you seeing it with, you know, if you're, if you're manufacturing, 60 percent or even 40 percent of the facility how does that impact the demand for really these these workers in order to travel from location to location to location for for 10-15 years that's something that i did moving from project, yeah. to project to project and i will say that it's not it's not always a sustainable lifestyle and it's not a lifestyle that a lot of people can live a full life doing yeah i've seen many you know, sorrowfully i've seen a lot of marriages fail and stuff yep. like that with, with people just being out on the road. So yep. are you seeing also by doing this, taking this approach of, you know, manufacturing these modules that you can eliminate a lot of the need for for travel traveling employees. You know, is that helping to cut down on per diem and wages and all of that as well?
1: Yeah, we're I would say we're hoping that we'll reduce the demand for that. We haven't it hasn't made enough of an impact on our business or the construction business as a whole yet to really say that's you know, we've cut 30% of the travel or something like that. I think we're still very early on. But right. that absolutely is the hope. And also the flattening out of the hours. You know, a lot of those folks at periods of time are forced to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and that can literally be backbreaking. And so from a safety standpoint, from a health standpoint, all of that, we're looking to make an impact there and really flatten out that curve and provide more predictable jobs for people. I'd say, you know being a minnesota resident working outside in december january when the wind's whipping and it's negative 10 right that's pretty tough if you tell someone would you like to do a similar job that doesn't require climbing on a ladder getting a lift and oh by the way it's going to be 70 degrees and it's indoors that's that's pretty easy to find that attractive right
0: having worked in uh, north dakota in the winter time yeah uh <laughs> miserable yeah I, I i shall never do that again yeah. uh on night shift at that hey real quick this is wes i just wanted to let you know that if you have an idea for an episode topic or a great guest suggestion we would love to hear from you just send us an email at works at cumulusds.com now back to the show so you're seeing benefits in in really being able to control the workspace in general. Yeah. So there are improvements with with the safety, the the cost, the quality, and and just generally speaking, you're able to to again just kind of control that yeah. environment. Are you also seeing more consistency in project delivery along along a schedule since you're able to control certain aspects of yeah. this? And and how is the I guess you know the handling of these modules from location to location? How is that impacting on?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely a risk mitigation, ex- you know, uh, part of it, and we really focused on flow scheduling, and so you are really looking at like how do you have a consistent tack time as you move from phase to phase and area to area, and having modularized components that are that are standard that are um, you know exactly what to expect is a big deal. Um, I think about I walk a lot of our project sites, and you know a lot of them are consolidating multiple trades. That would be above the ceiling snaking in all directions and getting them into you know one rack one assembly and you look at the the predictability of that versus you've got plumbers and pipe fitters and electricians running all over the place in the in the ceiling it's a it's a dramatic difference i, I think another area that i didn't touch on is really the waste reduction and the sustainability aspect so when you think about just um, framing a, you know a metal stud wall, typically someone's buying, let's say the wall is 10 feet tall or 10 foot 6 tall. They're buying 12 foot studs. They're cutting every single one of those. 20% of that material is getting thrown away in a dumpster. Hopefully it's being recycled, but there's work that went in to make that, to take it up to the place, to cut it. There's hazards with that. They're throwing it in a dumpster. Someone's got to take it down. With our manufacturing process, we're rolling studs, in this example, directly off of a coil. And so you basically have taken something that was a 20 to 30% waste to effectively zero. And what you're talking about doing from an environmental standpoint um, and a safety standpoint is huge there. So I'm pretty passionate about that part.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like there's a a lot of opportunity there for uh, where you can do some form of modularization and, and take big benefits in this manufacturing side.
1: For sure. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be fully volumetric. I think people get stuck on this. Do I really need to ship something that's ten feet wide, fifteen feet tall, fifty foot long down a down a road? And there's a solution where you can ship that whole thing in a flat pack. So you've got the walls, floor, ceiling, and they're stacked on each other. So you've got you balance the efficiency of shipping with the amount of work that's done on site. There's a lot of different ways to to address the opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's a really it's a really interesting thought with that as well. Cause you're right, I think that most people will think of this as in it's it's framed. Yeah. It's, it's effectively a shipping container going down yep. the road and we're gonna haul all of these boxes one by one behind yeah. the trailers.
1: And generally, we think it's not that. It, it definitely could be, I think, areas where you have a really high labor premium, maybe where you're working in a mountain region where there's a short window of time. There are other levers to right. pull on. But in a typical metropolitan urban environment, we think it's more sub-assemblies
0: and less fully volumetric. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great distinction and point to put out there. Yeah. Thanks for that. I, I, I was thinking about this still even as yeah. as, as a container. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so a big part of what it sounds like the Part of the, the focus for innovations with sand is this idea of modularization, kind of bridging the gap between construction and manufacturing. But what else are you looking at whenever it comes to, to innovations, right? Yeah. That's a big part of your role now. Yeah. And what are you looking at as far as where technology can help out? And what are you looking at as far as maybe in the process and procedure way?
1: Yeah. I would say I perceive one of the biggest issues in construction around improvements and innovation is dealing with the fragmentation of the industry. So you work on one project with maybe 40 different trade partners, an architect, an engineer, an owner, and nobody's invested in the long-term success and how do we work together because you you know you're going to do this one project, it's one-off, it's bespoke, and you're going to go poof in your opposite directions. And so why why invest? And so any, from a technology standpoint anything that allows us to break down those barriers to get more visibility into how are people performing? What are the issues they're facing? How could I help them with that? Anything that helps with really collaboration and transparency. Those those are the areas where we see tremendous opportunity for technology. And I think we found there are owners and there are trade partners and there are designers that are more collaborative and would like to work together for multiple years and figure out how to get better better together. And so we're really really leaning into what those folks see value in as well.
0: Are there any particular stories that you could share about maybe a technology that, that was a success in, in bridging some of these gaps?
1: Yeah, um, I would say um, a company called Joined So it allows us to, it's a very collaborative pre-construction software. And so it allows sharing value engineering, it's total transparency around budget, the owner, architect, uh, contractor, trade partners, everybody that's at the table from more of an integrated project delivery standpoint has full view and visibility to the budget and choices that are being made and how that's impacting things. We've seen a lot of success there. We've also worked on, you know, I'd say we consider change order, two words, to be a to be a dirty word uh, in the industry we don't like change orders they're disruptive right but um they happen things happen right. you have trade partner damages something owner changes something there are impacts to those and right. so we've been uh piloting some technology that allows for much better visibility and transparency to what are the risks what happening are they being addressed on time and um that's both for our benefit it helps the owner with transparency and we look at our trade partners, and they are a very heavy from a craft workforce standpoint. And so they're getting paid a month or two months after they're paying their team members that are doing the work in the field. And so really from a cash flow standpoint, anything that we can do to get transparency there, get them paid so they can stay whole and have a successful uh, business is a big deal too. So yeah. those would be a couple areas. Yeah.
0: And and so with that, you're looking at opportunities or you've discovered opportunities to be able to you know, make this... Process more transparent, yep. where you can you can effectively maybe shorten the duration between you know, the approval process of that get the get the, the check cut yep. out and all of that as well. Yep. Yeah. My uh, so I, my background is, is uh, heavy industrial. My brother okay. is now I had I'd gotten him into heavy industrial as well. He's now working with a, a commercial uh, contracting company where he's a project manager and, and that's actually one of the areas on the project where he is where he's seeing a lot of a lot of difficulties a lot of changes yeah. keep getting thrown out the approval process is is tremendously long between you know when when they submit a change order and when it's a state job whenever the state or the, the state representative architect can approve it that this is the change they're going to make it it's it's disastrous for them right now
1: and I would I would guess that nobody involved with that process is enjoying it or having any fun right exactly Yeah. it should be fun we're building incredible things that are going to be used for generations you know 30 50 we've built some buildings that are designed to be 100 year buildings and we should have fun and feel rewarded for doing it so anywhere we can cut out any of that kind of stuff we're really working on that
0: yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, to, if anything, talk with you more about that after this to see what I can share to him, and maybe yeah. we can we can improve everybody's process. That'd to be great. Me, that's that's the value in doing something like this is is just sharing knowledge and information from different resources all yeah. across the industry uh, to where we can, we can make everybody do a little bit better, right? Enjoy, yeah, enjoy the build process a little bit more.
1: I totally agree with that, and I think there are there are multiple schools of thought. You probably know where mine is, but I think there are people that feel construction is a zero-sum game. So for the owner to win, the contractor needs to lose. Or for the contractor to win, the subcontractor needs to lose. And I I don't look at it that way. I think there's there's certainly opportunity for everybody to lose. And what we were just talking about, there should be opportunities for everybody to win as well.
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I have worked in my career for subcontractor, GC, owner, and now a technology provider. So seeing this from a whole bunch of different angles, I, I, I get... Lord by the people that that do think that that in order for me to win yeah. you must lose and that's as you're saying you know there needs to be ownership through the process for everybody because we all need to better understand that that we all have skin in this game that, that yeah. if I win you win if you win I win right we're 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 in this together uh, so is are there any other areas where you're seeing you know potential improvements for around around really that level of collaboration right how do you approach that I mean whenever you were on project, how did you approach that situation
1: yeah so um, really engaging the stakeholders so I think about the first uh, first project I was a project manager on was a hospital it was really complicated vertical expansion of an existing hospital we were building building directly next to a neonatal intensive care unit uh, that we had to keep safe and our drywaller started stocking drywall on the floors, and my mechanical contractor came to me, and he said, Gene, there is no way I'm going to be able to be successful working around all this drywall. What are you stocking up there? we got to figure this out. I looked at him and go, you know what? He's right, and I'm a brand-new project manager, and I don't entirely t- know what I'm doing. And so I didn't have the solution to him, but I said – Let's pull you in. Let's pull the plumber. Let's pull the electrician. Let's pull the drywaller, and let's build a schedule that works for all of us, and work out a materials management plan that works for all of us. And we did that, and thankfully ended up finishing that project about ten weeks ahead of schedule with everybody everybody winning. And so I think just having some humility, listening to your partners that are at the table, treating them as partners and not subcontractors, that's I think that's critical to being successful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. That's uh, that's that's. A great great story there and great point in order to, to nail home for a lot of people because I don't think that a lot of people take that same perspective, at least from what I've seen. A lot of people again, they seem to think that this is you against me and yeah. that, that we're not we're not we don't have a shared goal or something. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of perception of people in the industry of well, I have to be this way because I know they're saying these same things about me. And, and then you go talk to the other person, and they say, "Well, I have to be this way because they're trying to put it to me." It's just like, "Well, actually, no, that's actually not true, right?" We're yeah. they're, they're, So, so, you know, being being an advocate and just being a, a voice for that, and and driving that for the rest of the industry is is important. So, I'm glad to hear yeah. that there are more folks out there. Yeah. Gene, we're coming right up on time, so I'm going to ask a few little last-minute rapid-fire questions to get to know Uh-oh. Gene Hodgson, All right, not just Gene Hodge <laughs> professional. Uh, so, Gene, what is your idea of a perfect vacation?
1: I'd say a blend of excitement and relaxation. So, I don't want to sit on a beach all the entire vacation, but I also don't want to be traipsing around feeling like I need a vacation at the end of my vacation. So, some combo there. Yeah. There's a sweet spot. I don't yeah. think I found it yet. But Is there a particular
0: location that you'd like to go
1: um, we love the, we love the Caribbean. We're actually going to Costa Rica in a few weeks for our first time, so I'm we might find the balance there. We'll see.
0: Awesome, yeah. yeah. Well, hope we have a great time. Thank you. What is your favorite quote? Ooh, I think I can. <laughs> Thomas the Train. Thomas the Train. Yeah. yeah I think nice. eventually
1: it's I know I can, but you got to start with I think I can.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. The, uh, what's, what's your What's your favorite book?
1: Uh, anything by Carl Hyassin. He's an author out of Florida. He's written twenty-something books. He is. They're all. Uh, they're all wacky, zany, uh, hilarious things happening in the state of Florida. He was a writer for the, I think, the Miami Herald for like twenty-five years, and most of them are based on actual events. Yeah. It's pretty comical.
0: So it's like a floor man book. Basically. Yeah, it's, it's, trust- <laughs> I would try. Yeah, I would, I would try it. I've read them all. Yeah, so. I'll have to look that up. That, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, if you were to give any, bit just one piece of advice to anybody starting off in their career, what would it be? Uh, be humble. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And if you could have dinner with any one famous person, living or dead, who would it be? Oh, that would be tough. Um,
1: I'd probably go with Robin Williams. Yeah, that was a sad day when he died.
0: Yeah yeah, 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 really happy man. You'd have to, uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be, uh, it'd be a fun and meaningful conversation as well. I imagine. Agreed. Yeah. So, Gene, this has been a great conversation. Great, I've, I've really enjoyed, enjoyed it. Time. Yeah, it's uh, it's great meeting you. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. Back to the show. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Work Done Right podcast. Please help us out by subscribing and leaving us a review. And as always. Our show notes are linked in this episode's description. Thank you for listening and see you next time.